Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right. How are we on? All right, well, I'm just going to start talking. There we go. So, this past summer, hi, this past summer, we, Chloe and I, started, we were, we were pregnant with our second child, and we thought, okay, we should probably get a van, right? Is, we're just going to bite the bullet, we're just going to jump ahead of the curve, and we're going we're gonna to get a van, because we want one. And so, we started looking, started doing some research, started kind of finding what, the, what a good price was, finding what a good deal was, and just kind of had our feelers out there, and then, and then one day, we decided, it was, it was, well, it was a Saturday morning, whatever, we were like, okay, today's the day, we're just going to buy a van today, like, I'm done looking, we're just, we're going, and so, found a good deal online, went to the dealer, and bought it, and, uh, and it was a black van, and then I realized something, as we were leaving, I thought, wow, everyone has a black van, like, I'm, I'm driving around Kalamazoo, wherever, and I'm like, there are so many black vans. When did I, I didn't notice this before, but now it's like everyone has a black, I mean, people have vans, but most of them are black. Why, is, why am I noticing this more now than, than ever before? I mean, am I alone in this? Right? We, we all notice things that we're preoccupied with. Right? What, what, we're, what we're aware of, what we're preoccupied with, we notice more. And so there's this, there's this principle that happens in, in our life where whatever's on our mind, we actually we see it when it pops up. But if it's not on our mind, we, we just don't, we don't see it. It's still there. It's not like it, it shows up because you're looking for it, but it's, it's because you're aware of something and, and then you see it more. In fact, this happens, uh, it's kind of funny how it happens in the church, even with, like, with numbers, for instance. So maybe some of you guys are into this. You can see, you're looking for some, you're looking for, to see 11-11 on the clock. You don't know you are, but you are because you're anticipating seeing it. And so, and so you, you look at the clock and say, oh, it's 11-11. Oh my gosh, what does that mean? There's some, there's some, and I'm not saying there's no significance. Sometimes God speaks through those, those, those ways, those numbers, but it, there's, there's, it's called the, frequ, the frequency illusion, where you, you begin to look, you're looking for something, whether or not you realize it, you're looking for something, and then when, when, you, when it pops up, it's, there's a, oh my gosh, there it is again. In fact, there's this, um, there's this thing that was coined the, the Botter-Mainhoff phenomenon. In, uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with this Botter-Mainhoff. So, Botter-Mainhoff was a militant, left-wing extremist group in Germany in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. There was, this thing was named after them because uh, a, a newspaper columnist had somebody write in to, to say, I just learned about this group, Bader Mainhoff, and now I'm seeing their name pop up everywhere. What is this about? And so, kind of to coin the term, they said, oh, that's the Bader Mainhoff phenomenon. And that's when you learn something new, and then from that day forward, you see that thing everywhere. Is it popping up because you learned it? No, it's, you're just aware of it now. Right. Right? So, so that's, just, that's kind of the base, the base of what we want to talk about um, today, where, where what, we, what we are preoccupied with we notice more. Let me try to turn this on. Well, I might not. Just, yeah. This happened last week, too. I don't, 
So go ahead and advance. It's just all it says is what I just said. So it's not too big. So go to the next slide. Uh, we are in or the second week of... Yeah, you can try to replace the battery. We're in the second week of this series called Journey to Easter. And what it is is, is a six-week kind of build-up to Easter morning. Oftentimes, especially for, for us non-denominational Protestants, Easter just kind of sneaks up. It just lands in our lap, and all of a sudden it's Holy Week. Or it's Easter morning. And oh my gosh, here we are. The resurrection. Let's, let's celebrate. But this year, we wanted to take a, look, a couple steps back and sort of through the season of Lent, uh, which is an ancient church tradition, 40 days prior to Easter, sort of reflect and think and notice and uh, recognize things about the Christian life. And we want to ask two questions, which are, oh, we'll have a second to flip it. Which are, how does, how does this thing, how does this aspect of the Christian life point to the cross and then how is it formed or strengthened in the context of community, in the context of doing life together? Right? That's why we're doing these life groups in association with the sermon series so that we can have an opportunity to engage in community on a more intentional level and, and see how this thing, these things play out. And so today, as we ask these two questions, we want to explore the idea of noticing God. And noticing God as a, is a central part of our uh, our life, our spiritual life, and particularly we want to notice God in the ordinary or in the unexpected or in the, in the day-to-day stuff. Not, not just in the spectacular mountaintop stuff, but in the, in the ordinary, in the, in the basic stuff of life. So we're going to look at a passage in Scripture from the Gospel of John, verses 19, and it's going to be 37, but we'll start with 34. And there's two things I want to mention before we dig into the Scripture. Notice, I want you to notice, to look for the fact that God gives something for John to look for. Right? God, God, God to drop something in John's mind to say, when you see this, you'll know. And for us as readers, right, there's this important part of reading Scripture where we need to recognize what the, what the Gospel writer is is giving us as inside information that the characters in the story don't know. And recognize, oh, I as a reader know this because he told me, but the people who, who, are, who are the characters in the story, they don't necessarily know this behind-the-scenes information. So, the, so John, the, the writer, gives something to the reader about the character of Jesus before verse 19 in the first part of John 1 where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he makes this strong, strong case for Jesus as the eternal Word of God, the eternal Son of God. And, he, and it's beautiful. It's one of the most famous parts of, the, that, of Scripture that explain the, the divine nature of Jesus. But then in verse 19, the, the slate is wiped clean. No one knows who Jesus is. We're starting fresh with, with trying to figure out who Jesus is in, in, for the people who are in these scenes. And, uh, and so let's jump in to verse 19. That's where it starts. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ, which is the Messiah. They asked him, What then? Are you, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
we, we can often give the Pharisee or the whole, the whole Pharisaical system a bad rap. We can just kind of write them off as, as cynical, as jaded, as, as all these things that we're not. But I want to I actually look at this and say, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's give them the, the, the charity of, of there's some sincerity here. They're, re- they're looking for something. The Pharisees send the Levites and the priests. What are they looking for? Right? They, they ask John, who are you? But there's a deeper longing. There's a deeper desire. They want to know who the Messiah is. They want to know if John is the Messiah because he's baptizing in the, and the Scripture, Old Testament talked about the Messiah baptizing maybe. Or, or he's, he's doing these things where that are pointing to this, this messianic rule. And, and so they want to know who are you because we want to know who the Messiah is. And so for them, the Messiah was someone who was going to liberate them from, from Roman rule and not die on a Roman cross. They were looking for something, and it was something particular. There was something political. It was something powerful. And yet, what John describes is not something powerful, not something uh, militant, not something extreme or extraordinary by human standards, but it's a, it's a lamb. So, what do, so here's, here's the next scene. So he says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, the Levite and the priests. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. I highlighted the, the phrase, among you stands one whom you do not know, because although they were looking for someone, they were looking for the Messiah, John points out that you do not see him. You do not recognize, he's in your midst, but you do not see him. You do not notice him. You do not recognize him. In fact, later on in John, it talks about that their eyes were blind in Later in the Gospel, in, in chapter 9, this is after Jesus heals a blind man. And they, they're like, what's going on? No one heals blind eyes. And so Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, Are we not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. So they had, they had an understanding that they, 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 had, they knew what they were looking for. And then when they saw it, they would know. Like there was a, pre, there was a preoccupation, a, a predisposition to, to find what they were looking for. But their eyes weren't, weren't open. They were blind. They, were, they weren't able to see what was in front of them. Uh, a lion dressed in, in lamb's skin. And so, it keeps going. Verse uh, 29 of John 1. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him. This is John. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. 
I, but I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. So what he's saying is, I came baptizing in water, and Jesus, appear, Jesus came to me, and I didn't, I didn't recognize, I knew who he was. Right? From other Gospels, we know that John was actually a relative of Jesus. They, were, they weren't really cousins, but they, their moms were cousins, so they were, they, were, they were part of the same family. And so it's not like he didn't know Jesus, but he didn't recognize him to be the one who was, he was preparing the way for. There was too close of an association. There was, his, he was, he didn't, so he, he says, you don't, you don't see the one who is right in front of you. Hey, but neither did I. I did not recognize I didn't know him. I didn't know him for who he was. And so, I want to get this, I'm going to think about this idea of the Lamb of God. Lambs in the, in the Old Testament were innocent, humble, unspectacular, and used for sacrifice. Right? This is, this is a, Kind of a, this is not the language that the Pharisees were expecting to be used for the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What we think is that John is referring to this, among other things, the, there's the whole sacrificial system of, of, a, of a lamb being sacrificed morning and, and night every day to, to cleanse and, to, and to, to purify the people as a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. But Isaiah talks about a lamb in reference to the coming Messiah, who's known as the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. And so John is using this imagery of a lamb, of, uh, of an innocent, humble, unspectacular creature who's, who's probably less than a year old uh, that's used daily in the temple. He says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Is this, is this the sort of thing we're looking for? This is what I want to ask. Are we looking for God in a lamb? In the, in the, in the unspectacular? In the ordinary? Are we looking for God? Are we looking to see God and notice Him in not in, not in the big mountaintop experiences, not in the, in the, in the, in the miraculous breaking in for, of the kingdom that's, that's undeniable, but in the, in the ordinary stuff. Right? Part, of, part of what we're wanting to ask is, how does this point to the cross? How does the language of the Lamb of God point to the cross? And how does, it, how does noticing God as the Lamb take on a, a deeper significance for us as we journey to Easter together? When we can see God as a, as a lamb that's led to the slaughter, when we can recognize that there's a sacrifice language here, and that sacrifice is for, for me, it's on, it's on my behalf, then we can, we can have our eyes a little bit more opened to noticing God in, in our midst. We can notice what he's doing. We can notice him in the, in the ordinary. In the moments that he all too often goes unnoticed, we can begin to perceive him when we know what we're looking for. And so the encouragement is to notice God, to recognize Him in the, in the ordinary stuff. So there's a lamb for, for visual... I don't know. I, I, don't have any, I already said everything about the lamb, so here's just a picture of a lamb. 
So now, keep going in the Gospel of John, the next paragraph. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending on him, descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Again he says, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And so, again, he says, I didn't recognize, but then he says, God spoke to me. I'm a, I, he's, he's, he's seeing himself as in a prophetic role, and he's saying, God's, God spoke to me to go and baptize in water. He, he spoke to me to go into the wilderness and eat locusts and wild, wild locusts and honey. To be this Elijah-type figure, really radical, uh, untamed type, type person, paving the way for the Lord. He said, but God spoke to me, and he's, he sent me to baptize, and he said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is the Messiah. This is the one. So when you see this, you'll know. So he gave John something to look for, and then when he saw it, all of his other pre- preconceived expectations were pushed to the side, and he says, this is the one. Right? Even though he's, he's, my, he's part of my family, even though he was born in Nazareth, even though there's nothing spectacular that I know of him, even though there may have been, he takes, he takes the, the ordinary and recognizes that because God spoke, because God pointed out that and, and, baptized, and, and his spirit descended on him, that this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This is the one who your whole ministry is pointing towards. And so he says, Behold the Lamb of God. The next scene is the next day where John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at, as Jesus, at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So John's pointing to Jesus. John, John, first he says, I didn't recognize him. Twice he says, I didn't, I didn't recognize him. But God told me this thing to what to look for. And then when I saw it, I said, oh, now I see him. Now I recognize him. And then, his, and then John's disciples, who, who have been following him in preparing the way for the Lord. And John points him out. He says, look, the Lamb of God. This, this idea of, of look is like this it's emphatic. It almost can take the meaning of notice, pay attention, look. This is like an a exclamation point. I mean, behold can be very like biblical language, but this is like, take notice. This is the Lamb of God. And when they heard him speak, they followed Jesus, right? There's, what I want to make just a point is that there's, there's a connection here for the disciples, and it needs to be for us, that when we, when we, when we recognize him, we respond to who he is. Like, there, there can't just be this, oh, hey, that's, that's Jesus. I'm going to continue in everything I've been... I'm going to continue in the way that I've been going. I'm going to continue in all these other things that, that, that are inconsequential to, to what I'm noticing. Here we see that his disciples speak, or John speaks about, this is the Lamb of God, and they respond, and they go and follow him. And the next scene is, they ask him, where are you staying? We want to stay with you. And Jesus tests them to, to see their authenticity, but... But they respond to, to the fact that, 
that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that their whole ministry with John was in anticipation to follow this one, to follow after this one. So whatever their expectations were, they shifted according to, to the pointing of John, and they followed Jesus. They recognized him, and they responded. So the question for us is, do we recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? And that's a, that's a legitimate question. We can kind of pass, oh, of course, yeah, of course, I'm in church, right? But do we recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Because that, that question really precedes the response. Because if you don't recognize him for who he is, if you're trying to recognize him as this, as this militant overthrower from the natural sense, and you see, you see a lamb, you see an innocent, unspectacular, common, ordinary, dirty even thing, like, is, if you're not looking for God there, then, then you're not, and you're looking for him in, in something other than the, the lamb that was slain, there's going to be, you're not going to, you're going to have, your expectations are going to be skewed. When we can see that the God of the universe has taken such a, such a humble position of a lamb, and a lamb that's led to the slaughter, that he's, he's taken on the, the sacrificial role of the lamb that was slain, so that we could inherit the forgiveness that comes through not just the ordinary lamb, but the, the one who takes on the posture and the position and, and, the, and the duty of the lamb as, as God in the flesh. As, as God who lays his life down. So, so if, if we can say, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and we can identify with, with what he's done as the lamb, then the weight of our own sin, the weight of our own Failure, the weight of our own inadequacy, the weight of that is actually taken off of us and put onto Him. That weight is, 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 is part of the weight of the cross. But if we, if we look at Jesus and say, no, that's not the Lamb of God, and He doesn't take away the sins of the world, He was merely human, or He was, he was a good man, He was a prophet. I'm sure He was real in some sense, but I, don't, I, can't, I can't buy all this stuff. Well, then the, the fact is that, that the sin of your own uh, the weight of your own sin, the weight of your own brokenness, is you're, you're still carrying that. You're, it's still on your shoulders. You're still owning it, and you're still responsible for it. And so we want to. I just want to take a minute to look at Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and and and, and respond. Like if 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 you're in a place where you you feel like there's an invitation to respond to, I don't want you to miss this. There's an invitation to respond to Jesus as the Lamb, not just to see Him, not just to notice Him and say, oh, that's a cute little Lamb, but to respond to Jesus as the Lamb of God, to, to recognize that He has taken your sin and your shame and He's nailed it to the cross, and that when you look to Him, when you believe in, in, in the fact that He's done this for you, you inherit the gift of salvation and the weight of all this, all this stuff that you're responsible for, all this sin, is actually taken off of your shoulders and put onto His. There needs to be a response. And so, you know, we're asking two questions. How does this point to the cross? How does noticing, how does noticing God as a lamb point to the cross? Well, this, this is, the, this is some of the, one of the key 
ways to, to recognize the cross. As, as Jesus as the Lamb. Revelation talks about a Lamb standing as if slain. The elders crying, worthy, worthy, worthy. Myriads and myriads of people, which is depiction of, of, the, of the kingdom of God and the coming kingdom, all recognizing Jesus as the Lamb and shouting out, worthy, glory, honor, blessing to the Lamb. This isn't just a, 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 an outfit that He wears on the cross. He, he's, he's, he is the Lamb that was slain in, in the coming kingdom. There's actually this, this, this way that Revelation talks about it where it says, standing as if slain. And so, he's, he's a lamb. He's, he's bleeding. Right? He's as if slain, but he's standing. Right? He's alive. He's not, he's not dead. He's alive, but he still bears the marks of the, the slaying. He still bears the marks of, of the wounding and of the death. A lamb that was slain it points to the cross because it's, it's, it's what Jesus has done for us. It's sacrifice. It's death. And yet a lamb is also ordinary. So can we notice God on the cross? Can we notice the, the creator of everything nailed to, to a torture device? So the, then, then the question is, what are your expectations? Like, What are you expecting to see? And where are you expecting to notice God? Because what you're, what you're, what you're expecting you're more likely to, to see. What you're already preoccupied with, you notice more. So the invitation here is to notice God in the ordinary, to notice God as the Lamb, but what I want to end with is just that the reality is sometimes we don't. Right? Sometimes we don't perceive Him. Sometimes we don't notice Him in plain sight. He's working in our life. He's doing things. He's, he's providing and all the... He's, he's doing so much for us. He's, he's holding all things together. But we don't see Him. We don't notice Him. And this is where the beauty and the power of community come into play. Right? This is where the significance of community being able to see in your blindness, to being able to point out in your inability to recognize God, a community to being able to say, oh, there He is. For, for us to be able to say to one another, no, I know this is how you feel, but here's a testimony. Or here's, here's what God is doing. This is what I see. This is the perspective. You're in the valley, but hey, I'm on the mountain right now, and I can see that this isn't the end. I can see that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a way forward. I can notice that there's, there's something that you don't see. In our blindness, the community that surrounds us can point out what is happening. And the same is true for, for someone in, in, in our community that, that's, that's in that place where we can take, when appropriate, the, the opportunity and the responsibility because we're part of the same family to say, oh, I can, I can see. I can not- I'm, I'm noticing God. I'm, I'm noticing what God's doing in your life. Or I'm noticing that, that although this is how you feel or although this is what your life circumstances are, that God is doing more than you can see. That God is up to more than you can, that, that, that's before you right now. And I can point it out. I don't just, I, I don't just have the opportunity to. There's, there's a sense of responsibility here. Where we, can, we, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to point out what God is doing and allow for others, allow for this, this people right here to, to point out in us, to notice in us what God is doing.
So we want to notice God, but we also recognize that in our inability to notice, we are surrounded by a community of believers that can notice God for us. And that in the same, on the, on the other side of the token, we can notice God in somebody else's life when they can't see. And so the resolve here is, is to notice God throughout your week, to notice God in the unimpressive, in the weak things, in the ordinary stuff. To notice that, that God is, is with you, that God is moving, that God is present in the unspectacular. And then also to allow others to point out what God is doing in your life and when appropriate to take the opportunity to notice and recognize God in someone else's life when they can't see it. Can we take this, can we take this challenge seriously to notice God in our own life and to be able to point Him out and to be able to receive uh, a noticing from somebody else when we can't see. That's what I'll leave you with as we, as we pray and as we uh, journey to Easter this week, whether you're able to go to the life groups or not. I thought about it. I was just, this is kind of funny, but I thought about this, you know, life groups. There's three things this week that, that have kept people from engaging in those life groups, and it's uh, flooding, right? It's seriously, it's hard to get around around here. Uh, the flu, right? Some of the, one of the groups was canceled because the leader was sick, and uh, and then just fear, like fear. I, I just don't know. I just don't want to go. I just don't know these people. Uh, but in all in all three, we can recognize them. We can, you know, say this is a reality, and yet I'm called to engage, and yet I want to I want to be a part of what God's doing here. So just want to point that out. Those are all real, but they're not the end. They're not the they're not final. There's there's a resolve that goes beyond that. And Lord, heal all sick, all the flu in this church and in this city and in the world. Everywhere. I mean, there's so much to pray for. But God, we pray for our church. That you'd bring healing to our bodies. Father, that you would uh, relieve pain. God, that you would bring liberation. That you would set captives free in every sense of the term. And God, we pray that this week we would begin to notice you in the, in the ordinary. God, not just, not just look for you in the, in the thunder and in the wind, but like, like uh, Elijah, being, be able to hear you in, this, in the small things. Be able to hear you in your, in your still small voice and, and not in, in, the, in the massive mountains that, that are moving. We pray for eyes to see. Open our eyes that we may notice you, God. And we pray, God, that this week in particular, as, as, as we're preoccupied with noticing, God, that we would have an opportunity and be able to, to take it, to notice what God's doing and speak it out into somebody in our community, into somebody in our life. And on, on the same token, God, that we would, we would be willing to allow someone to speak into our life in a place that we're blind, in a place that we can't see. And we would even invite it because we need each other. Father, we ask for your, your blessing this week as we, uh, as we walk from this place that we would recognize uh, that you are in our midst, God, that you are the lamb that was slain who takes away the sins of the world. And we would identify with you and your forgiveness, God, your salvation.
and all the benefits that come from it. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so we have um, an opportunity to receive ministry, uh, to receive prayer, and, and, and Rhema ministry, which is a, fo- a group of people being able to hear God for you when you can't see. Um, so please take that opportunity. Rhema will be on your right, on your right, on the red rug, and prayer ministry will be on the black rug in, in the front. So uh, take those opportunities. Otherwise, Pastor Mark will be here next week to talk about yield, yielding to the, to the Lord. So with that, I believe that's all. Have a great Sunday. Make sure to uh, splurge on the goodies back there. And uh, otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You're dismissed.